0: Well, thank you, Marcus, for praying for us and praying for the ministries. That will be starting next week. I just want to read to you an email that I received from the Slavic Gospel Association last night. Um, They're a group that we work with to um, conduct our Bible institutes in, um, in Russia and the Slavic area. We went with them to Penza, Russia a few years ago. And this past year, um, Bob and I and um, Mike Kastura, we went to um, Kazakhstan, Almaty, with Slavic Gospel. And actually, uh, Bob and Marcus and Huey will be sending them out into uh, this month uh, to Almaty, Kazakhstan again, with Slavic Gospel Association to teach on evangelism and apologetics. <clears throat> well, they have a church plan, a ministry in um, Baslan, Russia, Russia. Um, or that massacre occurred, that terrorist bombings occurred this past week, and they wrote us an email asking us to pray. And let me just read to you their email. Dear Partners in the Gospel, greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In recent days, we have received the shocking reports of the massacre of precious children, their parents and teachers at the Bezlan Middle School in northern Ostesia of Russia. Here at Slavic Gospel, we have closely watched all the media reports and have also been in contact with the local Christian community in Beslan. Such depraved, evil directed at innocent children is beyond our ability to process. Our tears are flowing, especially for the Christian families and to all who have lost loved ones to such horrific brutality. The President of the Union of Evangelical Christians, Baptists of Russia, Pastor Yuri Sipko, Visited the Beslan site today. He asked me to thank Christian brothers and sisters in America for their prayers and expressions of love for the victims and their families. Pastor Sipko sent the following report and asked me to forward it to all of you to concern churches and individuals. Pastor Sipko writes, The UECB Baptist Church in Beslan is located near the school where the great tragedy occurred. The pastor's name is Michael Eleven children from the church families were held hostage and terrorized by the attackers. Of the eleven Baptist children who were held hostage, three are at home now and one boy is in the hospital. One woman from the church, Irina, was able to escape with one of her children, but saw her nine-year-old son shot to death in front of her eyes. Another member of the Baptist church is also named Irina and she has not been able to find her child. Sergei Totiev is a church planner in the area sponsored by the Kodiak Bible Church. He and his wife have three children among the hostages. Their nine year old daughter, Anna, is believed dead, but it is still unconfirmed. Their 12 year old son, Azamat, is in the hospital with a severe eye injury. Their younger child is still missing. Sergei has a brother named Temiraz. and his wife have five children. One daughter, Magina, was hospitalized but is now home. They are trying to find their other four children. Today I spoke with the superintendent of the Baptist churches in the region, Brother Victor Lavashop, and also with the fa- pastor nearby, visited um, Beslan. Uh, they are grateful for your greetings and concern, but they are in shock. There are more than 400 children in the hospitals. Many are badly injured and burned. Identifying the injured is extremely difficult. Many are so traumatized that they are unable to say their names or the names of their parents. Identifying the bodies of those who have died is equally difficult as many of them were killed by explosions and ensuing fires. It is felt that the number who have perished will reach 500 Please pray often for all the families that have been affected. Please pray for the pastors and for the churches who are seeking to minister to all who have lost precious little ones. Pray that the Lord will grant them great wisdom and enduring strength in handling the situation and make them channels of Christ's great love for all the victims and their families. Again, your prayers and concern are deeply appreciated, Pastor Yuri Sipko, for the Union of Evangelical Christians of Baptists of Russia. Well, I was reminded of just the great depravity and evil that is in the world. And if they murdered God's only Son, oh, this world is so willing to kill innocent children as well. Psalm 11.4 says, What can the righteous do when the foundations are being destroyed? And the psalmist says, we can go to the Lord and behold the Lord's face and petition Him and pray and call upon His name. So we we exhort all of you to be on your knees this week, praying for um, dear saints in Beslan, Russia. Praying for the parents who have lost their loved ones and praying for that whole region and the whole country. That the gospel might shine forth clearly through this. And that many will come to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, and be saved. Let's go to the Lord now and um, pray for them. Our gracious and loving Father, we know that you can empathize with these parents because you once lost your child, you once lost your son, you once beheld your son on the cross. and saw him die there in a cruel manner. So with all the parents who are mourning this day, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would comfort their hearts. That the parents who are believers, Lord, their faith in Christ would be molded and strengthened for a time such as this. And the gospel of Christ would give them much strength And that the comfort that they receive from you, they would in turn comfort others and be an instrument of truth, instrument of of the gospel and a source of grace and love to many who are suffering there. We we realize, Lord, that um, these are dark and evil days and the God of this age Still reigns, but we know that your church you promised to build and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We pray that the churches there in that region would rise up to this challenge and will not shrink back out of fear, but they will boldly stand for the gospel, declaring that there is hope only in Christ. That all these other religions, the ones that advocate violence and murder, even of the innocents, Lord, that they are bankrupt, they are corrupt, they are evil and depraved. The only true faith is the Christian faith. Lord, you grant much grace to the pastors and the ministers of these churches to proclaim the gospel with complete faithfulness. And Lord, we, we ask that you would help us to toil in prayer for the saints who are suffering, Help us to open our eyes to see a world that is uh, filled with dying people, regions of the Middle East, to Africa, to Asia. Today, there are souls that are perishing without the knowledge of Christ. And Lord, help us, Lord, to open our eyes to the pain that is in this world and that they are dying without Christ. And Lord, rescue us from our comfort, comfort, our country club mentality, Cause us, Lord, to hold out the word of truth as children of light and to snatch people from the fire. May we not fear, but may we walk by faith and take risks for the gospel, whether we cross streets or cross borders. May we herald this one way to the Father with urge, with great passion and urgency, knowing that the end draws near. We... Uh, Send our love and, and prayers to, to those who are suffering and we we long to hear that the gospel is being moderately proclaimed in that area with much fruit. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Well it's come to a point where nothing shocks us anymore. No horrific crime, no tragedy, no violence committed against man shocks us because we have seen it all in the past few years. May these incidents and events throughout the world cause the slumbering church and slumbering Christians to to wake up to the commission that Christ has given us to make disciples of all the nations. It gives us greater gravity as we study the Gospel of John, particularly John 14, verse 6, a mammoth text declaring to all souls who are perishing in the world today that there is only one way, only one life, one truth, that no one can come to the Father but by Christ alone. May may the truths that are declared this morning reach hearts that are open. Hearts that are yearning to accept these doctrines, not just with our minds, but accept these doctrines with our lives. May it affect us how we live, knowing that this is the only way for men to be saved. May it cause in us a great passion and urgency to proclaim this truth to this lost world. Let's read that text, just verses 1 through 7 again. We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have also known my Father. From now on, you do know Him and you have seen Him. Undoubtedly, you know that verse 6 is a very controversial verse in the scriptures. Listen to what, listen to this LA Times newspaper article written about a year ago and how it describes the state of Christianity today with particular focus in Christianity in Southern California. The title is, Spiritual Blend Appeals to People of Many Faiths. To someone steeped in Christianity, Judaism, or Buddhism, after Lori Ellen's self-description is this, that she is a nice Jewish, Buddhist, Southern Baptist girl. She is at ease with her customized spiritual arrangement. She said, It works for me. I feel like I am at a buffet. I pick and choose according to my likes. To Alan, who has a Southern Baptist mother and a Jewish father, being inside a synagogue during the high holy days connects her to something that's way larger to myself. And then when she attends the Southern Baptist church, she is soaring to a higher place. And then when she practices meditation at a Buddhist temple, it calms and centers her. And then she takes in a Roman Catholic mass once in a while because the sense of tradition in the Roman Catholic church is so beautiful. The writer of the article says that she is not alone in such multiple choices. Increasingly, Americans are becoming eclectic in what they believe, picking and choosing from here and there as they would their wardrobe. It is do-it-yourself religion. Theologian Edwin Gibbs writes, mix and match spirituality, I call it. What they're saying is this, each individual is ultimately... the final arbiter of personal fulfillment and personal religion. Cameron Die, when he was growing up in a Christian home, always bothered him that Christians were the only ones going to heaven. Now, Die accepts all other religions on an equal basis. He says, what they all have in common is that there is a God. That God is within me, God is within you, and is in everyone Therefore, everyone has a place in heaven. He says, I don't have a religion. I have a faith. Faith is within me, and I call upon it. And his church can be anywhere in the Roman Catholic Church, in the Protestant Church, in the mountain, in the ocean. George Barnett did a nationwide poll in September 2003. He said, half of professing born-again Christians said that a person could earn salvation based on good works apart from a personal faith in Jesus Christ. Over half said, you don't need to believe in Christ. As long as you're a good person, you will go to heaven. Church historians say that this new trend appeals to people because it makes them feel good and they do not have to make any changes. You are told that God loves you, or that the spirit of the cosmos thinks favorably of you, or some Hindu teachers say that you are recycled stardust. This is thrilling to hear, because you don't have to change. You don't have to obey. This is the current trend in Christianity in America, particularly in Southern California. It is a mix-and-match theology where man is the final determiner of truth where all roads lead to god all religions have truth and offer salvation that is the culture that we're in and it is in this climate it is in this culture that we firmly maintain the singular truth john 14:6 that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That heaven is only for those who trust in Jesus Christ, period. It is called by many as the most offensive doctrine in all of Christianity. They consider it dogmatic, arrogant, unloving, unkind, ungracious, prideful, so on and so on. The narrowness of the gospel, the exclusivity of Christianity, of Christ, saying that only Christians, only those who profess faith in Christ enter heaven, they say is absurd. But when we look at the New Testament, it is a clear and explicit teaching of the scriptures. I mean, it is not an obscure doctrine, it is not something that is hidden or read between. Um, A few verses scattered throughout the Scriptures. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found in no one else. Peter declares, There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The Apostle John declared in John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Not only that, whoever rejects the Son, the wrath of God remains on him. There is condemnation for those who reject Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2.5, Paul says, There is one God, and there is man, and there is one mediator. There is only one go-between. There is only one reconciler of the two, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is the second promise given by Christ to believers. These disciples in John 14, their hearts were troubled. Their hearts were agitated. Again, a quick reminder that John 14 has a singular theme of not letting the believer's heart be troubled. John 14, 1 and verse 27, Christ says twice, Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled because of the physical absence of Christ. Don't be discouraged. Don't be swayed, don't be agitated, don't be anxious because of the failure of other Christians. Do not be discouraged because of your own failures. Let not your hearts be discouraged. And then our Lord in John 14 gives six promises to cure our ailing hearts. The first promise we looked at last, our last two studies, that Christ, though He's leaving, He's not leaving us orphans. He's leaving us, is not permanent. He promises that He will come back. He will return to take us home to be with Him forever. His promise is such that that He promises that He Himself will return personally. He will not send an emissary. He will not send a a representative. He will come Himself call us by name so that we will be with Him forever. And then here is the second promise that Christians know the way to the Father that Jesus is the way to God. Our Lord declares a profound truth in verse 6 with eternal and incredible implications. This was all started by a simple question by Thomas. You know, good old Thomas. I don't think he understood the implications, the profundity of his question. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? We owe a great amount of thanks to Thomas because his question prompted our Lord to say, verse 6, where our Lord says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He promised Thomas, He promised the twelve disciples, and He promises us, I am the way. Follow Me. I, I am not lost. I am not searching. I am not confused. If you follow Me, I will lead you to God the Father. I will lead you to Heaven. I promise you that. The personal promise, covenant, that Christ has given to all believers. You will not be ashamed if you follow me. We will not end up in some place, middle of nowhere, lost and confused, without direction. Christ declares Himself that He is the way to God. At the same time, therefore, it is the most politically incorrect doctrine of our time, it is the most hated and most criticized. Three major criticisms have been levied against this doctrine, this truth. First is that it is an intolerant attitude. It is an intolerant attitude. In this postmodern era, postmodernity, truth doesn't exist, everything is relative. In our day and age, all virtues have vanished. Virtues like humility, self-control, honesty. The virtues like modesty, it just vanished, disappeared from our culture. Only one virtue is alive and well, and well established. And that is the virtue of tolerance. Tolerance is the highest virtue in our society. And this, their definition of virtue of tolerance has been redefined. Tolerance used to mean, this is what I believe, this is what you believe. I disagree with you. I believe you are wrong. But I will treat you with dignity. I will treat you with kindness and respect. That's the the, the old definition of tolerance. The new definition of tolerance is that no one is right. No one is wrong. Truth doesn't even exist. It is intolerant to say that you know the truth. So, to say that you are right and someone is wrong, at that point, you are being intolerant. It is the only sin left in our society, the only culture, when you say to someone that they are wrong, that their ideas are in error. An Indian philosopher, I can't even pronounce his name, asked me how to spell it to you after service, he told the world parliament of religions in one of their gatherings. He said, "We Hindus accept all religions to be true. The only sin is to call someone else a sinner." So he, so the modern day um, postmodernists, they're tolerant to everyone except to the Christians. They're intolerant towards Christians. There is no sin except. Christians who declare the gospel and tell people that they are sinners in need of a Savior. The first criticism is that it is intolerant. Second, is that it is an arrogant belief system. It is an absurdly arrogant belief system. Rabbi Shmuley Botiak said, I am absolutely against any religion that says that one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. It is a way of saying that we are closer to God than you. And that is what leads to violence and hatred. Another pluralist said, It is absurd religious chauvinism. It is spiritual dictatorship. It is absurd arrogance to say that Christ is the only way. Charles Templeton call, called it insufferable presumption for the Bible to claim that besides Jesus, there is no other way to be saved. He continues, Christians are a small minority in the world. Approximately four out of five people on the earth believe in gods other than the Christian God. The more than five billion people who live on earth reveal or worship more than 300 God, small g, are we to believe that only Christians are right? It is arrogant. Absurdly arrogant, he says, to think that Christians alone have the absolute truth. The third criticism is that it makes the gospel irrelevant. It makes the gospel irrelevant. Not only is it intolerant, not only is it arrogant, but if you couple the gospel with exclusivity, it makes it irrelevant because the modern man who is steeped in relativity, that everything is relative, once they hear the exclusivity of the gospel, they will not listen to you. They will close their ears. They will harden their heart. You will not get an audience with the unbeliever if you declare Christ as the only way. You must declare Christ as one of many ways. Then they will dialogue with you. Then they will talk and listen to the gospel presentation. It's sad to say that when the gospel is presented as only one of many ways, it is no longer relevant. Do you see that? At the point we compromise and capitulate to the pressures of this world and say they will not listen to us if we proclaim Christ is the only way, at that point, the gospel is irrelevant. Christianity is not relevant at all. One Christian author says, if it is merely one of the many paths to God, the relevance of the gospel has always been its absolute exclusivity, which is summed up in the truth that Christ alone has atoned for sin, and therefore Christ alone can provide salvation for, God, for those who believe in Him. End quote. So what has happened is, as soon as we declare that Christ is one of many ways, We might have the audience, but we've lost the message. We've lost the truth. Why listen to us if all roads lead to God? It is not the gospel anymore. It is not good news. It is the same old bad news. It is the old works-based system of salvation by works. Well, I have some more sad news to present to you. Sadly, because of these criticisms, in a desire to be liked, approved, accepted, legitimized by the world, in a, in a real sad, really a pathetic hope to gain respect and acceptance by the world, to be seen as humble, gracious, and loving, many well-meaning Christians have responded to these criticisms by compromising. Three compromising proposals. Three popular compromises. First one is the eschatological solution. Eschatological solution. Eschatology. Eschaton. The last days. It's simply this. Some well-meaning Christians have said, Okay, Christ is not the only way. There is another way. That For those who have never heard the gospel, those who never had the opportunity to repent, those who are well-meaning Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists, they have an eschatological opportunity that after they die, there is a second chance that they will stand before Christ and Christ Himself will declare the Gospel and they have an opportunity to trust in Christ then or reject Christ at that time. If they reject Christ, they go to hell. If they trust in Christ, they will enter heaven. Well, the problem with this compromise is that it is unbiblical. It has no basis in the scriptures, found nowhere in the Bible. Secondly, it makes fools of the Apostle Paul and all the missionaries that have come after him. All the missionaries who have left their homes, their families, who have sacrificed themselves and their and their possessions who have given their lives to the cause of Christ, that those who have never heard might hear the gospel. They're fools. Didn't they realize that there is an eschatological solution, that they will have a second opportunity to hear the gospel by Christ himself? And of course, Christ will do a better job than any missionary. So, they are foolish for going, makes fools out of missionaries. I and mean, not only that, then why bother with missions? I mean, why bother with evangelism? Why bother with ministry? Why bother with church? Why bother with Bible study? I mean, why bother with anything within Christianity? If Christ Himself proclaimed proclaim the gospel to all who've never heard. In fact, we're doing a disservice by going to missions, right? Because we're taking away the opportunity to hear the gospel from Christ Himself. We should just stay in our little cubicles, Christian cubicles, and mind their own business, and let God do His work, in the second coming. It is absurd. Second proposed solution, is the election solution. Election solution. Those who hold this view maintain, that since God knows everything, in every circumstances, He knows how everyone, would have responded, had they, were born into a Christian culture and had they been exposed to the gospel. So if this person in Africa, if he was born in Southern California and if he had heard the gospel, he would have believed. God knows that. Therefore, based upon his sovereign election, all those who were saved, regardless of their lack of profession in Christ, will be saved. All those who are non-elect are not saved the problem with this, problems with this is that, again, it's not from the Bible. It is not biblical. Not only that, I mean, this is hyper-Calvinism. This is exactly what it is. This is a high view of God, high view of God corrupted by the depravity of man. It is sound doctrine, really corrupted and tainted by a sinful heart, a, a sinful human heart. It is um, death to prayer, death to ministry, and death to missions. It is death to right life. It is death to right doctrine. At the turn of the century, there was not a single Christian missionary in Africa. Why? Because this kind of, a, a version of this doctrine was thriving in the Reformed churches in the West. William Carey said, we need to go and proclaim the Gospel. And they said, Hey, Wim Carrie, relax. We don't, need to know, we don't need to do missions because we have a high view of God. Don't you believe in the election? Don't you believe that the elect will be saved by God? He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need us to do His work. It is a sad compromise. The third compromise is the exception solution. Exception solution. It is a claim that God makes divine exceptions to those who are sincere and have never heard the gospel. That if they are faithful to the light that is given to them, and that they are good Muslims, good Buddhists, good Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, so on and so on, then they are they're saved. This proposal is rampant in Christianity today. Pastor Ian Murray wrote in Evangelicalism Divided about an interview that Billy Graham had with Robert Schuller. It aired on the Hour of Power in 1997. And in the interview, it is documented, it is recorded, it was aired publicly. This is what Pastor Billy Graham, an eminent, godly, respected Christian leader, told Robert Schuller. quote, I think that everybody that loves or knows Christ, whether they are conscious of it or not, they are members of the body of Christ. God is calling people out of the world for His name. Whether they come from the Muslim world, or the Buddhist world, or the non-believing world, they are members of the body of Christ because they have been called by God. They may not know the name Jesus, but they know in their hearts that they need something they turn to the only light they have, and they are saved, and they are going to be with us in heaven. Seeking clarification, Robert Shiller responded, what? What I hear you saying that, is that it's possible for Jesus Christ to come into human hearts and soul and life, even if they have been born in darkness, and they have never been exposed to the gospel. Is that a correct interpretation of what you are saying? Billy Graham answered, Yes, it is. Shuler replied, I am so thrilled to hear you say this. There is a wideness in God's mercy. And Graham added, There is. There definitely is. Pastor Billy Graham has earlier been quoted as saying, I used to believe that pagans in far countries were lost. If they did not have the gospel of Christ preached to them, I no longer believe that. I mean, this is rampant in Christianity today. I read this week um, uh, some excerpts from an interview that Ravi Zacharias had given to Lee Strobel. And again, nothing personal. Ravi Zacharias, Michael Jordan Apologetics. I mean, can man live without God? I read that book five times. I almost memorized that book. So articulate in his. Refutation of atheism. He shares his testimony, and he was saved in India through John 14 6. He attempted suicide. He was in the hospital bed, and a friend came to him, read the Gospel of John, John 14. When he heard verse 6 and verse 18, he repented and became a believer. So he became a Christian through I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Later on, he says exactly what Billy Graham says that if you're a good Muslim, And if you are sincere to God, God will save you. And he gives an illustration of this Muslim woman who had never heard the gospel. She was depressed, discouraged one day. And the story goes, she said, I need Jesus. And she was saved. And he uses that as an illustration of how those who have never heard the gospel can become believers through this exception solution it is a radical departure from the teachings of the word of god it is a compromise that goes that goes to not just doctrine of christianity but the heartbeat of christianity the the life of christians it is a wholesale rejection of the exclusivity of the gospel what are how are we to respond as a christian how will you respond should we consider these proposals? Should we rethink our theology and maybe consider? Yes, maybe there is an ecological solution. Maybe there is an election solution. I, I never thought about that. You know, Pastor James, that divine exception. You know, that sounds that comforts me. I can sleep at night if that is true. Right. Are, are, are we are we maybe consider these solutions? Ought we? For say, Christ promises to us in John 14. I, I would say no, a vehement no. We are criticized of being intolerant, of of being arrogant, of being exclusive. But we gotta look look at John 14 and consider that an hour before. What was Jesus doing? He was washing the feet of the disciples. God's Son, thrice holy God, was on His knees washing the feet of sinners. Was He intolerant? Was our Lord prideful? Was He arrogant? What is the context in which He declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Our job is we are Christ's messengers. If Christ didn't say it, then we must stop and not say anything. But if Christ has declared it, we must be faithful to Christ's message and declare the truth. Though this message is hated by the world, we must speak the truth. You know, several weeks ago, uh, Cornerstone sent me to the Expositors Institute on the way up there, car was having problems. To get into the mechanic. A few days later, we had I had my talk with this you know, our mechanic is down here in Orange County with a strange mechanic. I don't know him, he doesn't know me. It's always a scary thing when a mechanic calls you into his back office and sits you down, isn't it? And he was uh, to tell me about our car and how much it's gonna cost. And I told him, you know, George, all I want is the truth. <laughs> that's all I want. I can handle the truth right I'm not the kind of guy where you need to tell me what I need to hear or what I want to hear. You don't need to decorate it. Just tell me the truth. But I told him, George, if you scam me, if you lie to me, it's all right because at the end of the day, at the end of my life, from my deathbed, I'm not going to worry about, man, did George scam me? <laughs> did he lie to me, man, did I just Throw away some money. No, I'm not going to be concerned about that. We've been talking about you know, my job as a pastor and about Christianity. Oh, i told you, tell you, George, I want you to tell me the truth. That's all I want. Well, the same thing for you, George. What do you want from the Bible? What do you want from a pastor? Only thing you should want is the truth. Not what you want to hear. Not what will make you feel good. Not what will help you sleep at night. What you want from the pastor, from the Bible, is truth. Nothing more, nothing less. Because on your deathbed, it makes a world of difference. Your eternal destiny is on the line, whether you've heard the truth or not. I told him, George, do customers get mad when you tell them about their cars sometimes? He says, yes. They yell and scream at me, right? And i went, yeah, exactly. All you're doing is telling the truth. You know, the car's that warning light, I told him. And you could choose to ignore it, get mad at that warning light, or listen to that warning light. I said, George, I'm your warning light. I've come to warn you. And this is the truth. That Christ is the only way. That there is hope in no one else. No other way to God. Well, when I told him about the truth in the Bible, he got teary-eyed. When he told me the truth about my car, I got a little (laughs) teary-eyed. Two teary-eyed guys, you know, sharing a moment together. But really, isn't that all that's important? not what makes us feel good. It's not about, is it relevant or not? Doesn't it sound dogmatic, arrogant, prideful? That's not the issue. The only issue is, is it true? And that's all we wish we would want in the Bible. Is it the truth? Let's go to John 14, verse 6, and let's see what the truth teller, our Lord says. Here we have in verse 6, the fourfold promise of Christ. Here we have one of the grandest texts in Scripture. It is one of those deep utterances that cannot be exhausted by mere man. No prophet, teacher, apostle ever used such words as these. These are the language of one who knew the truth, who was God Himself. Jesus declares to Thomas and declares to all Christians in the whole world, I am the way. I mean, look at that clause. I mean, I could have spent the whole sermon just in that one clause, I am the way. Our Lord is not the one who shows us the way. He is not a way, one of many paths. He is the way, the Father. He is the one and only way that God has provided for men to obtain the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of eternal life. This was so fundamental. John fourteen six was so, it's the bedrock principle for the Christian faith. That early Christians were known as the people of the way. Right? That was how they identified themselves. Acts nine one and two, Apostle Paul, Saul Saul went to Damascus to persecute people of what of the way. Acts nineteen nine, these Pharisees malign the people of the way. Acts nineteen twenty three, a great disturbance rose about about the way. Acts twenty four fourteen, Paul says I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. Acts 24:22 Felix was well acquainted with capital W or Y, acquainted with the people of the way it was so foundational that Christians adopted this as their personal identity we are people of the way there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved Christ is the only way and that is what Jesus said He further declared that I am the truth. He embodies truth. The fundamental moral quality of God. In Exodus 34, 6, when God revealed Himself personally to Moses, God declared, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. That's the Description of God. An attribute of God Himself. Isaiah 65, 16. He is the God of truth. The psalmist declared, Psalm 119, 142. He, your word is truth. Psalm 119, 151. All your commandments are truth. Psalm 119, The entirety of your word is truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. The law was given through Moses. John 117. John declares, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Finally, Jesus is the life. He is eternal life. He is the source of salvation. The highest quality of life. Eternal life, John 17, 3, which is knowing God the Father. That's who Jesus Christ is. John 1, verse 4 in him was life and that life was the light of man and first john 5:11 and 12 this is a testimony god has given us eternal life and this eternal life is inside jesus christ whoever has jesus christ has eternal life whoever does not have jesus christ cannot does not have eternal life the fourth aspect of His promise is verse 6. In case, you know, our Lord, in case there's any misunderstanding, you know, just in case some followers later on come along and propose an eschatological solution or an election solution or, or an exception, just, just in case someone proposes an exception clause solution, declare, our Lord declares again, let there be no misunderstanding. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right. No one comes to the Father, except through me. Our Lord clearly teaches, that here He is not, this one way, but He is the way, that there is no other way, that men either go to heaven, by His atonement, or they go to hell. Clear, distinct limitation of heaven, to only those who believe in Christ. The modern notion that it does not matter what a man believes. That all religions lead men to heaven if they are sincere. That creeds and doctrines are of no importance. That heaven is a place for all mankind. That God is the Father of all. is an egregious error. May we never forget the words of Christ. There is no way to the Father but by me. Well, where does our Lord get the authority from? In verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is Then it will be enough for us. You know, bless Philip's heart, but he is saying, Lord, your, your promises are not enough for us. Your words are insufficient. You need to give us something more. Right? We need some fireworks here. Right? I need to have... The Moses' experience in the cleft of a rock, when he saw God passing by, if I see that, then I'll believe your promises. That is why you know, Christ says, H- have childlike faith. right? You know, like children. Like, it is dangerous, is it not, to promise things to kids? Because right? they'll never forget. I mean, they'll never. And they'll believe it. <laughs> They'll believe whatever you promise. They'll believe it, and what will they say again and again? You promised. You promised. How can you? You promised. Come on. I was just, you know, I just talking out loud. No, you promised. Well, that's how children are. But as we grow older, what happens? You know, people break promises to us, so we learn. Like I, I read a website, and someone said, "How old were you when you stopped believing people?" So <laughs> people saw fourteen. 14. Someone said 10, right, or eight, right. So when you know people stop, you know start, you know you know people break promises. So we stop believing people's promises. And okay, I probably you know, We shake hands, but sign something, right, or you know, promise on someone's grave or someone's name or whatever. And then it comes to a point where you, know, you break the promise. You break promises. Right. Not only can you believe, you can't believe in others, but the, there comes a point on a person's life where We voluntarily break promises. We go back on our word. We stop believing, right? We just, right? We stop believing. Or 50% divorce rate. So 50% of the people, married people, have heard the words, "I will love you forever." Person says, "You promised me publicly." So we are trained in this world to be cynical, to be jaded, to not believe. So here is Philip, so let's not be too hard on him, okay? Let's understand that that cynicism is alive and well in all of our hearts. So Philip is saying, Okay, Jesus, you promised us, but show us the Father. Then we will believe. Our Lord says, verse 9, Philip, I've been with you for so long, and you still do not know me. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you say that? Don't you know that I and the Father are one? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say, verse 10, the words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does His works. says, my words are the Father's words and the Father's words are my words. I am the Logos of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word is God. I am the Word of God. 118. No one has seen God except the one and only who is in the presence of the Father who has made Him known. Jesus said in John John 12, 49-50, I do not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Think Philip, and our Lord is saying to you, "What more do you want?" These are not just my promises; these are the promises of God, the Father. And then He says, "Verse eleven: Believe me, that I am in the Father, that the Father is in me. Believe this. Believe my promises. You can't believe in yourself. You stop believing in people." Believe me. At least, he says in verse verse 11, at least believe the works. Look at the works that are performed. Raising of Lazarus, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, death and resurrection. These all testify that I am speaking in unity with the Father. There is no misunderstanding to all believers who study the scriptures and believe the scriptures, believe the promises of Christ. Christ promises that He is the way to God. No one can go to the the Father except through Christ. Cornerstone Bible Church, we have a pretty solid membership process. We have pretty mature believers here. I know that all of you believe this, but just with our Limited time together? I mean, do you really believe it? I mean, do you really believe it? What you believe is not doctrinal. I mean, more and more. Doctrine is everything, but doctrine is nothing. To see if you really believe this doctrine of exclusivity of salvation in Christ alone, just consider your burden for the lost. Consider your prayer life. Are you praying? for non-Christians? Are you praying for the world? When you hear about catastrophes in Sudan, in Russia, in Iraq, are you broken because there's only one way to be saved? Just consider your evangelism. When you, do you evangelize? Do you evangelize to your neighbors? And when you evangelize, I mean, is there a sense of urgency in your sharing of the gospel? Is it personal? Is it passionate? Anything else, if you believe this is the only way, if you had a cure for cancer and only this one cure saved cancer patients, you would do it with passion. You would make it personal. You would give yourself to proclaim this message so that people might be cured. Are oh, we... It's so easy to check this box and say, yeah, I I don't believe in those compromises. I believe in this. But let's look at our lives. Let's look at what true faith in this promise produces. It produces a Christian heart that does not get mired in petty things, petty commitment, distractions, trivial pursuits he or she becomes consumed with one thing, getting this one-way message to this world, praying for the lost, giving towards ministry, sending missionaries, going out in evangelism, and going to missions ourselves. What a great promise. He promises us He is the way. If we keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, we follow Christ, He will lead us to God the Father. Our Father, we do thank you and praise you. We are humbled that you would reveal these things to us, you would teach us about Christ. And tell us, Lord, and convict our hearts and and open our eyes to see that He is the only way. Narrow indeed is the gate to salvation. Wide is the road to destruction. Lord, may we walk in this narrow way. Though we might be rejected, persecuted, and hated because of this doctrine, may this truth be held high in our hearts because it is a message of the gospel that has saved us and that will save all those who would humble themselves and trust in Christ. Lord, grant us to believe in this promise. May the words of Christ be sufficient for us. May we not seek anything else. May the plain words of Christ may be enough for us to give our lives over for the cause of the gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen.